everyone doing today? Good, good, good. Well, I am Pastor Jen. I'd like to welcome those that are joining um, our recorded Bible study lesson today. Thank you for joining us online. Uh, Pastor Mike, where is he? He's on vacation. Yeah, he's on vacation. So he asked that I cover for today during his absence. They should be traveling today. We'll be back um, in the church. should be tomorrow. Um, and then everything will go back to our regularly scheduled plans. All right, let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this magnificent, beautiful day and this group of friends that we are able to gather and study and learn more about you. Lord, continue to guide us in our in our walk with you, Lord. And Lord, today we pray for those that are not with us, those that perhaps are at home, not able to be here in person. We pray for those that perhaps are suffering with illness um, and struggles. We pray that they may feel your healing presence and comfort. Lord, we are so grateful for your presence in our lives. Please guide us today in your son Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are going to continue our Bible study of 1 Corinthians. We are in chapter 9 this week. Uh, Lisa, you've got the mic. Um, Is there a volunteer that would read verses, let's just start with 1 through 2. Verses 1 through 2. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Thank you, Linda. Don't you kind of wish we could see the other side of this letter? It makes you wonder if there was a question or somebody was challenging Paul's authority as an apostle. Because now we're going into this section, keep in mind, this is like one continuous letter. And it's just by chance where they break it up with the chapters. So in this part of the letter, he's going on and he's going to make his case now um, as his rights as an apostle. He says, am I not an apostle? You know, the evidence of Paul's true status as an apostle is shown in the following statements that we just read. Am I not free? Paul was not under any kind of authority to anyone but Jesus. And other Christians um, were under this apostolic authority. He goes on to say, have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? And so Paul makes this case by saying that he did not just merely have visions of Jesus, but he had an authentic appearance of the post-resurrection Jesus. And then he makes the case just by saying, in you, as in, in the church. Are you not my work in the Lord? Friends, the proof is right there in the pudding. It's in the people. The work of God among the Corinthians Christians was evidence enough of Paul's apostleship and his credentials. 
In fact, they were the seal of Paul's apostleship in the Lord. So you may ask, what is the word seal all about? Any ideas? You know, in this particular part of the letter, Paul kind of sounds a lot like an attorney to me, where he is making his case. And so this word of seal, right, this idea that you are the seal of my apostleship, seal was, it's making the case that it was authentic. If there was ever a legal agreement through the courts, whatever the outcome was, it would be sealed, just like with letters. Have you ever seen, yeah, those little wax seals that kind of close things to show that it, it, it's authentic? He's saying that for you, you are the authentic basis then of my apostleship. So he kind of turns it right back around on them. So whoever the parties were challenging his authority as an apostle, Paul now is making that case and saying, okay, but it's in you. Do you not see that you then are the seal of that authentic nature of being an apostle? He goes on and, and you know, he gives his account. Uh, he's referring to his account of of seeing Jesus on the way to Damascus. Uh, That account is given in Acts 26, verses 12 through 18. Would anyone like to share that? Um, Acts 26, 12 through 18, if you have your Bibles. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. For we all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appealed, appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes, and in turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Thank you so much. So for those that maybe were not so familiar with that story, that is the account that Paul references, like he's referring to, uh, when he talks about his authority of being an apostle, and that indeed he did have that encounter with Jesus, the risen Jesus. All right, do we have a volunteer that's willing to read verses 3 through 6? 
This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Thank you. Do we have no rights to eat or drink? Paul, like the other apostles, had the right to eat and drink. It wasn't the Corinthian Christians that questioned Paul's right to eat, but Paul means that he has the right to eat and drink at the expense of the churches he served. In other words, he has the right of priests to receive um, those blessings, blessings to be taken care of. Uh, do, we, do we have no rights to take along a believing wife? Paul, like all the apostles, had the right to take along a believing wife. And again, the Corinthian church would not mind him taking along a wife, as long as they did not have to support the apostle and his wife. But Paul makes it clear that he had the right to expect support for not only himself, but for his family as well as do the other apostles. Apparently, most of the other apostles were married and their wives traveled with them as they did ministry. This is especially concerning, um, this is especially interesting concerning Peter, uh, who is Cephas, who um, was obviously married yet still considered by the Roman Catholic Church to be the first pope, in contradiction to the principle of mandatory celibacy. Paul is making the case here that he could ask for those things. As an apostle, it would certainly be his right to ask the church then to support him. And it certainly would be his right to take a wife and have a family. That has been the custom for others. He makes that claim. But he goes on to say that it's only Barnabas and I who lack the right not to work for a living. He's asking that question. Um, most of the other apostles received re- this kind of support that they ministered. Here's the difference. Paul and Barnabas were unique in this regard. They chose to work and support themselves, so no one could accuse them of preaching for a money motive. So it's all about the motivation of the heart for Paul. Paul is making the case that indeed you can challenge my apostleship, but don't you know I had that encounter with Jesus, the living Jesus, on the road to Damascus that day? And don't you know that you are the evidence of my apostleship, that you, the church? And sure, I, I could receive payment. I could receive that kind of support. I could take a wife. I could have a family But I choose not to, because the motivation of my heart is to share the gospel and spread the good news. Does that make sense? So he's making a distinction, saying, yes, absolutely, I could have these things, but we choose not to. I guess this is the first time I realized that the disciples, some of the disciples did take their families with them. I I had not really thought of that concept before. Isn't it interesting when we go back, there's a reason why we call the Bible the living word. (laughs) 
There can be different points of times in our lives, different things that perhaps experiences that we're going through at the moment. And maybe when we go back and read it, a particular word or a phrase or maybe a different understanding comes to mind that maybe perhaps wasn't there before. And I think that's the beauty of the living word and why study, even if you've studied this before, it continues to be important and relevant to our lives through the various seasons. Yeah. Okay. Do we have another volunteer? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. It is, is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this it was written for us, because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritually seed, spiritual seed among you, it is, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we pulled it up with everything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple, and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Thank you. So whoever goes to war at his own expense... In an army, the soldiers are supported. Farmers are supported and fed by the fields in which they work. The shepherd is supported by the sheep he cares for. Therefore, it should not seem strange to the Corinthian Christians that Paul has the right to be supported by the people he ministers to. So he's just expanding on this, this idea that yes, he has these rights. He goes on to say yet again that he did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. His concern is that any, anything of this world, any material possessions, whether it be food or shelter, money, those type of things, if that became the motivation of the heart, then it would hinder the gospel. Does that make sense? So that is the case that, that he is making here. Here we see Paul's real heart, paid or not paid. Honestly, it didn't matter one way or the other to him. What mattered was the work of the gospel. Was it more effective for the gospel if Paul should receive support? then he would receive it. Was it more effective for the gospel if Paul should work to support himself? Then he would do that. 
What mattered was the gospel not be hindered in this way. His reward was in the sharing of the gospel. Any comments or questions about that? Have you ever had perhaps something that you felt called to, that you absolutely loved, and you did it just for the sake of that call and for the sake of the benefit of whatever that task was versus receiving compensation for it? Anyone have anything they'd like to share? Terry. Um, we moved to Oregon from South Carolina to teach in a Christian school. I loved it. I didn't care if they paid me or not. I loved it. It was probably one of the most rewarding things I'd ever done. Yeah. So I suspect that while Paul maybe wasn't getting fed with food from the church, that he indeed was being fed. My paternal grandparents belonged to a religion called the Way. And it's a, it started in England is where it came from. And um, they meet in small groups in homes, and they have traveling preachers, and their sole uh, survival is dependent upon the parishioners uh, with whom they travel to. So they will go uh, usually in pairs, and they will stay in an area for a while, um, either in the same facility, uh, which would be a home, or uh, if it's not big enough, then they would split up each in a different home of one of the families. And so they were dependent upon the goodwill of those people for any of their needs. And um, they're not Amish or anything, but that's they preach from the Bible. Uh, somebody at a home meeting will uh, read a verse and talk about what that's saying to them, and discussion follows, and uh, that's their Sunday service. I can remember on Sundays my grandfather tying the swing up because you're not supposed to work on Sunday unless you're the wife and having to fix Sunday dinner. And anyway, um, so that, you know, and that religion is still going. Um, they will have uh, what they call conventions, usually in the spring. Uh, five or 600 people will gather together for about a week. So that's probably where they got part of their foundation. It is interesting around the world, even that uh, how religious people support uh, their leaders, their religious leaders. Uh, when I when I was in Thailand, it's a Buddhist religion, and the monks don't don't uh, have fields. They don't raise their food. They don't go buy food. In the mornings, they go around with a basket into the town and the village. And whatever is given them, that's what they eat for the entire day. And so they are truly supported by the people in the village. And that's how that society supports their religious leaders. I thought that was, you know, very honorable. Mm -hmm. 
I'd like to see that here today. Yeah. That'd be something, wouldn't it? My grandparents married in 1943. They met in college. Um, my grandfather was a reverend. He, he was a preacher man and also a musician. And my grandmother was a musician. So they were song evangelists with the Wesleyan Church. And their first work was to travel. This was during the time where there were still lots of camp meetings and revivals, and that was part, part of the life of the church. And so they would hit the road, and they bought their first camper. They hooked up. And for about the first six years, they, that was their home, was their camper. And they traveled from town to town, and they were invited in, and they would be the individuals that would lead worship like we see today on Sundays. They would be the one leading the music, and then my grandfather would preach. Uh, my grandmother played the accordion. So a lot of times it was her playing the accordion and singing and him playing the trombone and then preaching. She also was very gifted on the organ and piano. And everything that they had uh, was given to them generously by the people that they visited. And they were welcomed into homes. And I think of all the countless meals they must have shared around various tables all over the country. They had two little girls. And by the time my mother was about three weeks of age, she had already been to like 36 states. <laughs> so I imagine the life, just imagine the life of traveling from town to town, spreading the gospel, raising your little ones, and just creating, creating that home. And that home can come in many different, different forms. And all of their needs all of their needs were met. Um, so that is somewhere in my genetics, in my roots, in my DNA. Uh, so when I read this, I can't help but think of all of the ministers and clergy, and I think of our clergy today and how they are called to go where they are called. Um, that very much the churches still continue that tradition of supporting their clergy. Um, Paul was unique. Paul was saying, I don't want any of that. Where I get fed, the payment that I receive is just in that spiritual goodness of being able to spread the gospel. What did Paul actually do for a living, though? Because obviously he still needed to eat yeah, he was a tent maker. That's right. Right. So he found other ways. Clergy can be very creative. <laughs> All right. Any other comments? Ideas? Thoughts? All right. Would someone like to continue on? I believe we are looking at verses 15 through 18 now. But I have not used any of these rights, and I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me, for I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. 
For I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, and so not to make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Thank you. So he's really making this point, um, that he is intentionally making this choice not to accept support um, from the church. Interestingly, like, I have a feeling the other side of this letter, when there was challenging of like his authority as an apostle, some of their argument was, how can you be a true apostle when you don't even accept the gifts that we've tried to give? Like, you don't accept from anybody. So therefore, how can you be a true apostle? And then Paul's like, but I'm doing this because I don't want there to be any, uh, anything to muddy the water, right? Like, this is pure of heart. This is my motivation behind it. It's not a motivation in what I can get out of it, but what I can give. And his reward then was more of a spiritual reward. All right. Verses 19 through 23. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I have become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those have not to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under God's, under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To, to win the weak, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might say some. Save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Since he doesn't accept gifts and supports, then nobody can own him. Yeah, they can't. There cannot, that cannot be twisted in such a way like, oh, by the way, we give you all of this. Now you're ours, and we are going to use this for this other purpose. He's saying, mm-mm. There's no connection there. I'm doing this of my own free will. And he had a single purpose. He's saying, I don't belong to anyone but Jesus, and my sole purpose is to bring people to Jesus, period. That's it. That is the single purpose of Paul's ministry. And so he goes on to say, I'm going to meet people exactly where they are. No matter who you are, where you're from, what your cultural background is, what your beliefs are, what your traditions are, guess what? I'm going to meet you right where you are. And I'm going to make that connection. And then he guides people then to Jesus. Uh, looks like Bev has a comment and then Terry. Is that not Christ-like? <laughs> he was following right along. I like the way the King James says it. It says that I may partake with you. Oh, I like that. That's a shared experience. I like that. 
It's all about relationship. I think that's what Paul is getting to the heart of this, is there can be no strings attached, right? But I am going to do my part to have a real connection. And it's not that he's being wishy-washy, like he's one way with one people or he's one way with the other people. I think Paul was consistent with how he worked with people. But he knew well enough to try to meet them where they are at that moment with their own understanding. Yeah. Have you ever known anyone like that? Where they're just good with people? Like they go out of their way to connect with others? And then when you're talking with them, you're like, oh my gosh, this person thinks just like I do. They act just like I do. They must be like from my town or something or raised in the same environment that I was raised because they're so much like me. But then you go to the next person who's like the exact opposite of the person that you were just talking to and they'll say the same thing. Oh my goodness, did you meet that person? We connected. Paul had that gift of connecting no matter who he was talking to. He had a gift of connecting with people in all settings. You know, he was in prison and he was using his own suffering as a way to say, you know what, it's okay. I'll do all of this if it, me- if it means bringing people to, to Jesus. He used every opportunity and every situation to do that. And that was his single focus and purpose. All right. Well, we may finish up a little early today. We just have this final section of um, verses 24 through 27. Do we have a last volunteer to do a reading? The need for self-discipline. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air, nor I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Anyone run like a marathon? Yeah? Lisa, you ran a marathon? So can you share with the group just like what does that training look like to prepare for a marathon? Um, Yeah, a lot of miles. A lot of miles. um, And consistently every day. So when you have kids, it gets a little bit more uh, challenging to fit, you know, to tell your family, hey, I'm going to be running for five hours on Saturday. And so that's why I'm in retirement. But you said consistency. I heard that word. Mm-hmm. Um, practice over time. Yes. Right. Discipline. Passion. Yeah. Were your eyes on the goal? Like this is uh, this yeah. is something that I'm working towards. I'm going to continue to keep my eyes on the goal and on the prize. With yeah, that, you don't just run a marathon. Like decide on Tuesday that you're going to go out and run and then compete on Saturday. (laughs) It's months and months. It's months and months. Mm -hmm. 
I think spiritual discipline can be kind of like that as well. And that as our spiritual formation over the years, uh, there is a... There's the verse that we shared yesterday and Sunday about love. Do you remember it? That love is patient and kind. And there's a piece in there. This was written by Paul as well, of course. It's from 1 Corinthians. But there's a piece in there that goes on to say, you know, when I was a child, I thought like a child. And as I grew, I put away those childish things, right? That I think there's a spiritual growth that occurs in our lives. Like when we first become Christians, maybe we're kind of baby Christians. And then as we learn and grow in our relationship with God and with others, and we keep our eye on the prize, right? It takes dedication and discipline and work through study and prayer and meditation and worship some of these wonderful spiritual disciplines, which, by the way, we're going to have a sermon series on at the first of the year. Um, Celebration of Discipline, I believe. It's the name of the book. It's a very popular book by Richard Foster. And at the same time, we're going to have a class called Spiritual Formation that's going to coincide with, with the sermon series. The reason why I mention this is I think Paul, in this part, he's talking about athletes and keeping the eyes on the prize and just the discipline of getting to that point. I think very much that that is true of our spiritual lives as well. And that perhaps Paul is saying, you know, in this part of the letter, he's making the case that he was an apostle. He's making the case that he had that encounter a new Jesus and that the evidence is in the church and that he's choosing not to receive these kind of material possessions and support because he wants to have that united focus on the one thing, which is bringing people to Jesus. And he's saying here, once again, with the self-discipline, that this is something that he's going to continue to practice. So even if the other side of the argument of this letter, right, the other side of the argument was, other people accept this kind of support. You're not a real apostle because you don't. He's saying, you can have that belief. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing I'm going to keep up with that discipline so that my heart and my mind and my focus will be on the prize and I will continually work towards that. And my single mission then, of course, is to bring others to Jesus as well. Thank you guys for joining us for Bible study today. Pastor Mike will be back again um, this Sunday. Yeah, Pastor Mike is only going to be here with basically Debbie Jones because the rest of the staff are going to be in McCall for the ladies' retreat. So um, everything will, will be back and running next week as planned. Yeah, but prayers for Pastor Mike because it's going to be Pastor Mike and Debbie this weekend. It'll be like a repeat from family ch- uh, church camp that we had in, on Labor Day weekend. Mm-hmm.